And welcome again to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. After a year off, we are back for our 10th season of talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And we're going to start off the new season. Of course, we'd probably be about three weeks into the regular season had it not been for what's going on around the country and around the world with this COVID-19 virus situation going on. We've got a new co-host with us now this year. want to thank throughout the years Mark Donahue for serving with us for eight consecutive seasons. He did a great job, but he's moved down to Florida, and we're going to bring in a new co-host who's going to be our resident Reds expert on the Cincinnati Ball Club heading into this season, the Sports Information Director at Mount St. Joseph University, and a good friend of mine, Blake Watson. Blake, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? I'm pretty good, Dave, man. Real happy to be here. Real happy to talk about my Reds, you know, the best team in Ohio. (laughs) Yeah, you and I are going to have some really intense discussions about what's going to (laughs) happen with both of these ball clubs. You know, as I said, we'd be about three weeks into the season, Blake, if it wasn't for the fact that of this COVID-19, the the, uh, uh, virus that's going on. So talk a little bit about your self-isolation. Are you hanging in there for a while? Yeah, just working from home, man. Uh, we've had some, some stuff go down. Obviously I work in, you know, college athletics, as you know, you're a big part of what we do at the Mount. Um, and you know, with no spring sports, it's been really crazy. It's a completely different aspect than we're used to. Um, I have Saturdays off right now. I haven't had a Saturday off in the spring in probably the last two years, maybe one or two total. Um, I was expecting one off all spring this year. Um, so I'm getting a lot of stuff done around the house. Still working a lot though. Um, work 40 hours plus every week, working a lot in our marketing communications department at the Mount. Um, spending a lot of time helping with a lot more, you know, university wide campaigns and whatnot than just athletic stuff mm-hmm. along with trying to continue, you know, my athletic stuff, rebuilding some record books that we we haven't had the time to, you know, give the correct treatment for the last couple of years. Um, we've still got stuff going out. Actually, we just released our men's volleyball player, uh, all conference awards about 25 minutes ago. Um, so things are still happening. It's just not active games. Well, we're going to talk a lot about the athletic department and what's going on at Mount St. Joseph University. We're going to have a special podcast coming up in a couple of weeks on that. So we'll keep you abreast of that situation but you talk about saturdays off i don't think you've had a saturday off in a long time let alone spring has it been yeah i get i get one or two a year it happens here and there <laughs> um you know it's just crazy that when the, when this all started i was in cedar rapids iowa with, with iowa with our wrestling program had a chance to have our first national champion in school history um both in iowa and in um the Raleigh Durham North Carolina area where mm-hmm. we had a uh the number one pole vaulter in the country at the D three level. We had a chance to do something that had never been done to mount and you know, this virus took it away from us. It's sad for Anna Schoster who's the pole vaulter who won't compete next year, but as you and I both know, we'll get to see Cornell again for a couple of years on the football field and on the wrestling mat. Yeah, it's gonna be fun fun watching him over the next few years. Well 
Blake, first of all, as I said, we'd be about three weeks into the regular season had it not been for this virus. We don't want to really dwell on that because hopefully we'll be getting into some baseball coming up here in the next few weeks. But the Reds, let's start off with them because they were one of the teams during this offseason that were really the talk of baseball with some of the, the new ball players that they brought in, weren't they? Yeah, and it's it's crazy. For the first time in my lifetime, the Reds were players in free agency. Um, obviously, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I don't, you know, I don't remember the pre-free hey, agency hey, days. Hey, I don't hey, remember hey. the big red let's, machine days. Let's not bring um, up age already. <laughs> but the Reds are <laughs> the Reds are prototyp or typically like a you know a team that just signs also rands and team that gets retread guys and takes flyers on guys. And to see the Reds active with top top of the line free agents this year was crazy. I mean, and then we get to the time when the season's getting ready to start, and it doesn't actually happen. Um, the Reds signed top tier players at multiple positions. Um, you could talk preseason. Nick, Nick Cassianos was maybe the best outfield free agent there was. I mean, there's other guys that can you throw in that mix, whether that's Ozuna or whoever. Um, but he's one of the guys that everybody talked about, and the Reds got him. Mike Morse or Mike Morse. I always mix up Michael Morse, <laughs> the old guy from San Francisco, and Mike Moustakis. Mike Moustakis is another one. The guy's a professional hitter. Um, the guy just knows how to hit. And then the big the big outlier would be, you know, the center fielder, Shogo Akiyama. We don't know what he is. Nobody really knows what he is at this point. But from all prognostications, the guy's a legitimate leadoff hitter and center fielder at the big league level. So they added to a team that had a really good pitching staff already. Um, they added three or four legitimate offensive players. And, and you know, it was going to be really exciting to see what they could do over a full 162. We're probably not going to get a full 162, though. No, probably not. Akiyama is really, I think, the key to what the Reds are going to be this year because if he can convert into that center fielder slash leadoff hitter that they need, that's really going to form their lineup because you know what Castellanos is going to bring you and you know what Moustakas is going to bring you at the plate. Yeah, they're just those two are just veteran, legitimate, big league hitters. In the day of war and OBP, they're not 400 on base guys. They're not draw a ton of walk guys. They hit. They hit line drives. Nick Cassianos had one of the highest line drive percentages in baseball last year. I mean, the guy just, they just hit. They're both going to hit 270 to 290. And in great American ballparks, they're both going to hit 30 home runs plus over 162. Um, and, and you know, the Reds, the big question mark for the Reds would have been at shortstop and maybe behind the plate. I like Tucker Barnhart a lot. I think he's a really good defensive catcher. He doesn't hit much. Kurt Casale hits, but he's okay defensively. The big question mark would have been Freddie Galvis at shortstop. Um, and they tried to upgrade at shortstop, as you and I talked. Oh, yeah. They were in the in the Lindor's talks, um, which I still think is a mistake the Indians in trading, but that's here nor there. Um, you know, do they move Senzel back to shortstop? I mean, he played third base in college, but it was always said he could play short. Uh, what do they do there? I don't know. I mean, Galvis is another guy, though. He's an underrated player. He's a decent professional baseball player. Yeah. If Freddie Galvis is your seven-hole hitter hitting 240 with 20 home runs, you're doing okay. Like, you got a pretty solid, deep lineup. 
Blake, he came over from the Toronto organization, and of course, being in the American League, I got a chance to watch a lot of Freddie Galvis at the shortstop position. First of all, I can't believe Toronto was stupid enough to give up on this kid. Now, I know they had a lot of talent coming in behind him. Obviously, you know, they, they needed, but you could have moved him to another position. He's an outstanding shortstop and hitter, and I think that's one of the key players that the Reds are going to have this year because he could move into that shortstop position for them and really be an improvement from what they've had over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, he's a career 250 hitter, which isn't outstanding, but isn't terrible. Um, he hit trying to find the numbers he hit a total of third or 23 home runs last year across two organizations and that's only that's just over 500 at bats too mm-hmm. so he would have projected to have a good offensive year nothing spectacular but that's the other the thing that the reds did this year that they haven't done in a, in a long time if you don't know right now if you're listening to this and you don't know about Eugenio suarez you are missing out this kid might be the second best third baseman of baseball behind olin arenado he is unbelievable. He had 50 home runs last year. First, first Dominican guy to hit it since what? Uh, who were they? I'm trying to remember who was it. I'm drawing a blank on yeah, who I said it was. Drawing a blank too, but yeah, you know, you could even make a case really that Suarez is the best third baseman in baseball because a lot of people yeah. don't even get a chance to see Arenado play. And he is Suarez came up as a shortstop. Um, and he is a plus defender now third base. He was not good his first two years. Now he's a plus defender. He's never going to win an all, uh, a gold glove, but he's a plus defender who hits 280. He's going to hit 35 to 40 home runs every year and driving 100 runs. I don't know what else you can expect from a corner infielder. And the biggest thing for the Reds is he's on a seriously team-friendly contract, too. When they re-signed yeah. him a year and a half ago, they re-signed him for six years, buying out all of his arbitration years, and he's barely making $11 million a year. For a guy that hits 50 home runs, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And he, and he you know, the, the left side of their infield is going to be extremely good. The right side of their infield, you know, I've never been convinced, though, that Moustakas can handle the second base position, which is where he's going to play with the Reds, especially if Suarez is healthy when they come back to playing baseball, which for all intents and purposes, he should be. But Moustakas, I've never been convinced that he could be uh, a, a, a serviceable second baseman. He's more of a third baseman, but you can't blame him at third because you got Suarez there. I think that Moustakas will be fine at second base. Now, the Reds have obviously had two of the better defensive second basemen in the history of baseball with Brandon Phillips and Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan's the best second baseman to ever play the game. But second base, if you really think about it, of all the positions on the field, where do you want – where are you okay being the weakest defensively, right? It's probably second base. If you can turn a double play and catch the balls hit at you, you're fine, especially in today's shift mentality of a game. How much how much range does he really need to have, right? Yeah. Um, and the big thing is he's going to hit. He's He is a – as an offensive second baseman, he's an all-star level player. I mean, he is a multi-time all-star already. But just as an offensive player, he is one of the better – second baseman in baseball. Um, who knows if he can handle it defensively. I think he would have been fine personally. Um, but, again, what are you going to do? You have to find offense somewhere, and that was a position the Reds could really upgrade. The only other option really at second base would have been to stick Nick Senzel back there and leave him alone, which I would have been okay with 
but I'm happier with Moustakis in the fold than I would have been without him. Yeah, it's amazing how last year Nick Senzel was the talk of the Reds. Everybody wanted him up. They bring him up. He plays pretty decent baseball. He gets put in center field, doesn't play too bad out there. And then all of a sudden, he's kind of an afterthought as you go into this season whenever it gets started. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's likely going to end up, if the Reds, if we get this season started in any relatively short-term fashion, and the Reds are competitive, Nick Senzel is your biggest trade chip. And I think that's the way the Reds view him now. Um, I think they'll, they'll try to hold on to him in any deal they make, unless it's for a top of the line, uh, borderline MVP caliber player like a Francisco Lindor or a Corey Seager or a Carlos Correa, somebody really, really high end shortstop wise. Um, you could see them moving him. But I think that you also got to consider that, you know, while Castellano signed a four-year deal, it's got three opt-out clauses. He can opt out at the end of every year. So if you keep Senzel, you can always move Akiyama to left and put Senzel back in center. Because Akiyama's not a young man. I think he's 32 already. Um, so not sure how long he'll be able to handle the rigors of center field defensively. Um but again, if he hits, you know, like he's done in Japan, he's a career 300 hitter, and it's it's an upgrade no matter where you put him. Yeah, you're right. He's actually 31 years old, coming over here from Japan, and we we kind of hinted around how the Reds were one of the suitors to the Cleveland Indians in the Francisco Lindor debate. And you and I, you know, as you said, we've talked uh, off the air several times about the Lindor deal and was he going to the Reds, was he going to the Dodgers. It was always those two teams. And surprisingly, the Reds were probably the team that that put together the best package for the Indians, especially when the Indians, boy, they wanted a ton out of the Dodgers. And the Dodgers just wouldn't give up what uh, the Indians wanted. Matter of fact, you know, when you talk about the Dodgers, Blake, the one thing is they didn't give up a lot to get Mookie Betts. Now, Betts is in the last year of his contract, just like Lindor had two years remaining. But they didn't give up a whole heck of a lot to the Red Sox to get Mookie Betts. And, boy, when you look at this Reds team and you look at the Dodgers team, you and I have talked, I think it's going to come down to those two in the National League if and when they ever get this baseball season started. I, I would agree with you. I think, obviously, lineup-wise with Bellinger and Pete, and the fact they didn't didn't end up losing Jock Peterson – yeah. Um, Bellinger, Peterson, Betts, Max Muncie, Justin Turner, Seeger, th- that team's gonna hit. Like they are going to, they might, they, if they had 162, they might set records for offensive efficiency. That being said, uh, I wouldn't take their pitching staff over the Reds any day of the week. <laughs> um, their bullpen's really good, the back end anyway. Kenley Jansen's really good. Um, but from, you know, 1 through 13 or 14, I think the Reds have as good a pitching staff as there is in baseball now, especially if Luis Castillo takes that next step to become what I think he can be, and that's one of the top pitchers in all of baseball. And Trevor Bauer returns to the form. Um, there's a lot to be said for another year of him working with, you know, Derek Johnson, the the high-profile Reds pitching coach, um, who turned Sonny Gray around in a year, who's you know, turn some guys into really high-level pitchers. Um, I think the Reds got a chance to be really good. Anthony DeSclafani gets another year back from Tommy John. So he returns close. His velocity was back last year. Command wasn't as good as it had been. 
um, prior to the injury. But, you know, as everybody knows with Tommy John, that's always a two-year recovery time. Yeah, that's anyway. the first always, year back is, and that's always the main problem, Blake, is your control. It, it doesn't seem to be the velocity the pitchers have a problem with coming back from that injury. It's always the control over their stuff. And it's typically that second year back where they find, yeah. you know, find the command again, especially the secondary pitches. Um, it's it's just different. It's it's almost like a running back who blows his knee out. It's finding that trust in your arm again and being able to reach back and pull a little bit more on that on that slider and finish on that cur- that change up a little bit more. Um, but I think Anthony Scalfani. I mean, if he's your fourth starter, you're in pretty good shape. You know the thing about it, and, and I love Trevor Bauer. I, I hated the idea of the Indians giving up on him. Uh, just simply because he threw the ball over the center field fence in his last start as, as a member of the Indians. And that was really the last straw that the Indians had with him. But I, I love Trevor Bauer. I love his bulldog attitude. I love the fact that he'll take the ball every fourth or fifth day. He doesn't care. He'll throw as many pitches as he possibly can. And normally, you know, with the Indians, he was throwing well into the 100 pitch a game route. And you'll find out doing the show with me. I'm for all four pitchers that could stay out there and throw for more than a hundred pitches. I, I'm all for them because they. Yeah, you know, I agree. It, it seems like when you throw over a hundred pitches, Blake, your arm doesn't take the toll that it does when you're throwing it. You well, know, uh, just a medium amount of pitches. There, there's no, no doubt in the correlation between arm injuries and the fact that we're over over cotalizing these arms nowadays. Um, if, if you look back into the early days of baseball, guys were throwing, you know, 60 starts and, you know, 300 pitches a start. Like that's just the way it was. And they never got hurt. Now, obviously in the days of specialization and guys throw a lot harder nowadays. So it's a, it's more strain on their arm. But I mean, Nolan Ryan pitched till he was 43 and <laughs> threw 140 pitches every time out, you know what yep. I mean? Or 45, however old he was. And there's a reason that worked. But he was special, and there, you go across any era of baseball. There's always special guys. Um, yeah, it's it's just I agree with you to an extent. I I do like protecting young guys a little bit, you know, with the innings marks and things like that because I just you know you they invest so much money in these guys nowadays when they're signing them as as. Uh, yeah. As free agents or drafting them or whatever. There's so much time and money spent on these guys. You want that six years of MLB control that you are guaranteed to be as good as it possibly can be. Yeah. I mean, you don't want Luis Castillo losing a year of that to Tommy John surgery if you can avoid it. Right. Well, as far as the starting rotation is concerned, yeah, the Reds are right up there, but the Indians right now, boy, they've got one of the best starting rotations in baseball, bar none. Uh, especially, I mean, even after losing Corey Kluber, which I gotta be honest with you, Blake, this Corey Kluber deal that the Indians put together when they traded him to the Texas Rangers absolutely is a head scratcher. Now I know they, they saved $17 million, but you're talking about trading away a two-time Cy Young award winner who's only 34 years old and has shown no signs of letting up. Now, I know the old adage is you'd rather get rid of somebody a year prior to than a, than a year too late. But in this deal with the the Texas Rangers, all they got in return was Delino DeShields Jr., who 
I think is going to be a complete bust for the Indians. And he's a center fielder that they're bringing in. And quite honestly, they've got a center fielder that's that's better than him that's coming back from injury in Brad Zimmer. I don't know why they thought that they needed him. And Emmanuel Clase, who is another pitcher that they got, who's a relief pitcher in the three-player deal from Texas, uh, for Corey Kluber. I think it was a great, great acquisition for the Texas Rangers. But th- let's be honest, the Rangers really have absolutely no chance of winning that Western division if and when we get anything going in baseball because right now they've got Houston out there, they've got Oakland out there. And Texas is not going to compete with either one of those two teams. Well, Seattle had a decent year last year yeah. times too. Um, and California, yeah, I mean, they've got was- a new manager in Joe Madden. It was a true salary dump by the Indians. That's all it was. It was one of those, we'll trade you this guy, you pay him, and we'll take a bucket of baseballs. Yeah, and that's um, what I just, just drives me crazy with the Indians when they do that. Yeah, I, I, it's the same as the Reds, man. It's, it's part of being a small market fan. You know what I mean? It's, it sucks and it's not cool. It's like, I don't remember, I might have been in the movie Moneyball where they said we're the, farm team for the the New York Yankees. Yeah. And it's kind of the way everybody is. If, you know, if just throw, I like throwing his name out there a lot, but if Luis Castillo continues on the trajectory that he's on, the Reds won't be able to pay him when he's able for, able to be a free agent. They just, there's just no way. They don't have the money to pay a starting pitcher $30 million a year like the Yankees and the Angels and the Dodgers do. Um, it sucks. It's just, that's just the reality of baseball nowadays. And it's, it's the money in baseball is so ridiculous. I remember when uh, the Reds traded Mike Leake and then he signed for like $11 million a year the next year. And I'm like, Mike Leake is a solid pitcher. He was good for the Reds during the time where we were really good, but he, he's making $12 million a year. <laughs> what the heck is going on in baseball right now? Uh-huh. I mean, I remember when, you know, the A-Rod got his deal, you know, to the Rangers, Fifteen years ago, people were losing their minds, and that's a small deal nowadays. That's nothing. Bryce Harper gets paid more than A Rod did, and Bryce Harper will never be the player that A Rod was. You're absolutely. It's, it's crazy. That money is nuts. Yeah, yeah, and and it causes ownership and management to pamper these players to the utmost because they don't want to have a player such as that such as an A-Rod, as you brought up, or or even a pitcher. Uh, well, let's talk about a, a free agent pitcher this year that you've got coming out in uh, the left-hander at Boston, and now his name escapes me. Boy, I've, I've been away from Chris baseball. Chris Sale. Chris Sale. For crying out loud, you know, I wasn't a big Chris Sale fan when he was a, with the White Sox. You can't right. tell me one big game that Chris Sale ever won. You and I kind of got into a Facebook debate the other day about Chris Schilling. I was never a big Chris Schilling fan, but you made a point. He won big ball games. Name one big game that Chris Sale has ever won in his career. That's part of the problem with playing for bad teams, though, right? Like, are you a product of bad teams? It's it's one of the things that drives me nuts about baseball. Everybody talks about, oh, he's not clutch. He's not clutch. Well, I mean, you got to be put in the position to be clutch in baseball, right? You have to be at – you can't hit a game-winning home run in the bottom ninth inning if you're not up. No, I you agree. Or, or if your team's not good. But in, why, the, like in the, the position of Chris Sale, what has he done with a team in Boston that won a World Series when he was there, but he didn't do anything to okay. help? He was okay. He was okay. He was fine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was a fine starting pitcher. 
But it's he, you know, that's the other thing though is everybody expects that your ace to go on a Garrett Cole type run like he did last year, and it just it doesn't. I mean, even Max Scherzer had got dinged a little bit in the playoffs last year, and he may be the best pitcher I've ever seen. Um, it's just it's weird, man, because. I, I I don't like this guy, but I always go back to, to the thing I heard Dusty Baker say when he first took over the Reds. It's you are who your baseball card says you are, right? If you're a cons- you're a consistent guy, then you know you're going to get your hits in those positions. But it's also it's baseball, right? So if we're you know bring Joey Votto into into the conversation here, he's played in seven playoff games in his life. Well, if he's went one for those seven games, is it because he sucks? Or is it because he's only played in seven games? We know how great of a hitter the guy is. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best pure hitters to play the game in this era. But if he doesn't get the opportunity, it's like, uh, it, it, was Griffey a bad playoff player? Cause he didn't play in the playoffs? You know, I mean, it does, does it, that's why I don't like the baseball, the, the playoffs and the world series is cementing legacies like they do in other sports because Especially if you think of basketball or football, if you're the quarterback in football and you play like crap in the playoffs, that's your fault. Like that's you touch well, the ball in every single play. Same yeah. thing with basketball. If you're the superstar, you should have an impact on playoff games because every time down the floor you touch it. The, you the, can go, you can go an entire baseball series and never get a pitch to hit. Yeah, the point I'm trying to make is is that these pitchers, I would never give a pitcher a five year deal. I you, agree. Never. I'd give him a three year, maybe an option for a fourth year. That's it. You know, and, and especially when you look at like the one that, the one that boggled my mind this, this offseason was Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. Now, Madison Bumgarner has been a really good starter for a really long time. He's not young. And because the Reds were linked to him at one point for that kind of that spot that they signed Wade Miley for. And I would have loved to add Madison Bumgarner to the Reds rotation. But when I saw Arizona gave him four years to a 34-year-old starting pitcher who yep. can barely break 90 miles an hour anymore, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. That shit, that's a mistake. That's bad money. And when you're, when you're a smaller market team like the Reds are and the Indians are, you can't make those mistakes. If you're hampered with a $40 million contract, you're done. Like you can't, that's one of the reasons that the Reds struggled for those few years after that run they had in the early 2010s. It's it was a Homer Bailey contract. Yeah, you signed Homer Bailey to a ton of money, and you know you can argue whether or not he deserved it or whatever. No, and people in people in Cincinnati were, oh well, they should have given that money to Johnny Cueto. Well, Johnny Cueto wasn't a free agent yet. There was reasons behind it. Um, it was wrong, but it hampered their ability to do anything else. See, that's when I think some, for some of these teams, for some of these teams, absolutely, Blake, when you look at them, the thing about it is, is that you've got to say to them, hey, you, you've got to look at the situation as, why in the world are we doing what, what it is we're doing? It's the GM that you've got to look at. The GM has got to look years ahead. You bring up Cueto. Yeah, it's a great comment. But the Reds knew that he was going to be a free agent in the next couple of years. And they knew that they were going to have to give him some money if they wanted to keep him. Now, it's turned out that they probably were correct in not giving him the money, but they gave the money to the wrong person in Homer Bailey when it became time to give out money. There was a lot of conversation around that same time about Brandon Phillips versus Joey Votto. Brandon Phillips was obviously a fan favorite in Cincinnati. People loved him. He's got a great personality. 
but Brandon Phillips isn't a quarter of the baseball player that Joey Votto is. Just not the, it's just a fact. Joey Votto's an MVP, a multi-time top two or three guy in the MVP voting, perennial all-star, highest on base percentage in baseball right now. Like this guy is one of the better players in baseball. Brandon Phillips is really good, but Brandon Phillips never deserved the money that Joey Votto got. And people in Cincinnati didn't understand that. These fans just sometimes, I love my friends that are Reds fans, but they're dumb. They always wanted to trade, trade Homer Bailey. For what? Somebody's gotta want his contract. You, you, you don't trade guys for nothing. That's not the way it works. Yeah, and they were trade lucky Homer that the Bailey Dodgers. For Mike did Trout. It. Stop. Yeah. yeah. It, the people are stupid, man. It, it, and, and it goes across baseball lines to all sports. When the Bengals or the Red, or people talk crap about the Bengals and Andy Dalton, it's like, come on guys, what, what do you want them to do? Who else are they going to start? You want him to start this guy that's never played it down in his life? We saw how that worked out last year. Like, yeah. People that clamored that A.J. McCarron was better than Andy Dalton. Well, there's a reason A.J. McCarron's not in football anymore. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, you people know, we, just don't under, they don't pay attention that they don't understand. We talk about the new players that the Reds have received. Boy, when you talk about the Castellanoses and the Mustakases and the Japanese player that they've got coming in, and then you look up north and you see the new players that the Indians having come in. In Cesar Hernandez, you've got one of those coming in. You've got Sandy Leone, who's coming in behind the plate. You've got Delino DeShields, who's marked to be the center fielder this year. And then you've got, you know, you, you look at those players, Blake, and you try to figure out just what the heck the Indians are thinking. And then, then the, t- the player that they probably are hanging most of their hopes on this season to come in and make a splash in right field is Domingo Santana, who they signed as a free agent for just an astounding amount of $1 million a year on a one-year contract. Now, he's got some options in there where he's going to be able to make over a million six, but for crying out loud, I mean, when you're looking at this, and, and to be honest with you, Cincinnati's a smaller market than Cleveland is. They're both small markets. I'll give you that. But Cincinnati is a smaller market than Cleveland is. And if the Reds can afford to give out contracts to Castellanos and Mustakas the way that they did, and the Indians are being chintzy, I've always said that the Indians and what what they're doing is the the ownership, the Dolans, whom, by the way, who's the worst owner in the NBA? James Dolan. James Dolan with the New York Knicks. And what is he in relationship to the Indians' ownership, he is their uncle. Now, the of fact, he is. yeah, and the fact of the matter is, is that I think what the the Dolans have done is set this ball club up to be sold in the next two years. If you remember, just about six months ago, the new owner of the Kansas City Royals bought the Royals for a billion dollars. Kansas City, one billion dollars to buy the Royals. And he was a minority owner of the Cleveland Indians and supposedly had an agreement with the Dolans to buy the ball club from them, and the Dolans backed out on it in the last second. Now, the Dolans, what they've done, like you said, it's just a complete salary dump. They've got one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, Blake, and now you're looking at a team that, boy, they can go out and sell this team. If Kansas City's worth a billion dollars, what the heck are the Indians worth? A billion two? I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even bet to guess on that. But 
they're, they're worth more. They would have to be. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the two teams in Ohio were without a doubt on different trajectories. Um, the Indians are without, and it's baseball too, so you never know what's actually going to happen unless the games get played. But you know, the Indians could wrap all, rattle off 15 wins in a row to start the season and set themselves up for mm-hmm. a great year. But on paper, which is all we can judge it on right now, they have without a doubt taking a, taken a giant step back this year. Um, you don't lose guys like Bauer and Kluber and get better. You just don't. There's, there's no way around it, which is what surprised me so much about them not trading Francisco Lindor. We had this conversation off the air a little while ago, too, about about the Lindor trade. And I heard one of the guys on MLB Network, I don't remember which one it was, put it in a great perspective for me. You know, his Lindor had two years left on his deal, right? So he's got this year and next year. What? When are you going to sell – when are you going to trade him or sell him, however you want to look at it, for more? When are you going to be able to get more out of him than you were this offseason? I don't think ever. Maybe at the trade deadline this year. But what, what's to say? The Indians are in a winnable division. The Twins are the, probably the best team in that division right now. Yeah. Probably. And they're not great. They're okay. They're, I mean, they, they won last year. I can't, can't name other than Miguel Sano. I don't know if I can name anybody <laughs> else on that team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're they, a bunch of no names. They win, but are they, was it legitimate or was it a flash in the pan? So if you'd have traded him this year and, you know, whether it was the Dodgers or the Reds, the Dodgers are out now because of the Betts trade, but, um. Well, and you look at, not, not only the Twins though, Blake, but the Chicago White Sox, they probably had the second best offseason behind the Reds and maybe the third best offseason, depending upon how you want to look at the Dodgers offseason with bets. But, I mean, you look at those two teams, the White Sox were right up there at the top, at least in the top three of having the best offseason of baseball. You're you're not wrong. They did a lot, and, and, you know, they invested. They tried. That's my big thing with the Reds this year is it was exciting to be a Reds fan just in the fact that we were trying, right? But just making yeah. an effort to get better. Whether it works out on the field or not, nobody will ever know. But, you know, how the definition of insanity is continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. And the Reds finally didn't do that. I, I'm surprised that if the Indians were going to sell Bauer, which they did last year at the deadline, and then Kluber, I'm surprised they just didn't go wholesale, shut it down. And start the rebuild because it's either you're either in a rebuild or you're not. And I don't think they've defined it for themselves what they're doing. I think That's they, what scares me about the Indians. I think they put too much faith in what Terry Francona can do. There's no doubt Francona's in the top three of managers in baseball. But there's not a big difference between the top three and the bottom three. The only <laughs> difference between the top three and the bottom three managers in baseball, Blake, are the talent that you're given. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I think there's not a sport out there where the person running the day-to-day of a team matters less than baseball. I don't I don't think it matters. Handling a pitching staff, maybe. But that's more the pitching coach than the, than the manager anyway. Um, I think, there. you know, you look at basketball and football, you can scheme wins in basketball. You can scheme wins in football. You can't scheme a win in baseball. Either you hit the 95-mile-hour fastball or you don't. Yeah. Like, that's just the way it is. I, and if you don't have guys that can do that, then it doesn't matter how good of a manager you are. You put, I don't know who you consider the best of all time, but 
mean, Joe Torre was okay until he got the job with the Yankees, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lou Pinella won his only ever World Series. That's because he had Pete Rose's talent. The talent that Pete Rose and Mark Schott put together won a World Series. Lou Pinella was uh, the the benefactor of that. He didn't he didn't uh, really do a ton. Although although Lou was a pretty doggone good manager in Seattle. I love too. Lou because yeah. Seattle was one of my you know obviously growing up in the nineties like I did juniors and being a guy from Cincinnati. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. I played on a lot of the same not whole fields as Ken Griffey Jr. And you know he's a he's a legend here. The only one that's Bigger legends, probably Pete Rose, but I, I mean, I love Seattle in the nineties and Lou was great. I love Lou, but the only time he ever won was with a team he had little to do with putting together. Like he had, he well, just didn't screw it up. And I go back to the 2016 <laughs> World Series between the Cubs and the Indians and both managers at the time were, were professed to be the best managers in the game. One and two, you could flip-flop them. It didn't matter. You couldn't give an argument as to who was the best and who was second best between Francona and Joe Madden. And both of those managers did their best to give away that World Series. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's And, and even if they don't, I have an argument all the time with this older gentleman that lives next door to me talking about David Bell of the Reds right now. Oh, he made a mistake last night. I'm like, what do you mean he made a mistake? He went to a pitcher. The pitcher gave up the home run. David Bell didn't do that. Yeah. He just, he called for the wrong guy on that day. But if that's all he's got down there is guys that give up home runs, how is it his fault? Yeah. It's, it's not on the manager if the, if the players don't execute what they're supposed to execute. Baseball is so much more than any other sport about the Jimmys and the Joes and not the X's and the O's. Blake, uh, l- let's get into right now. What you think is going to happen with this season? Of course, there's a lot of speculation. They're going to play all the games out in Arizona. They're going to wait a little while and, and try to get them back into the home, home fields. They're going to change the divisions. What's your gut feeling right now as to what is going to happen with baseball this year? I really don't know. I really, <clears throat> I don't, I mean, for the first time in my life, I can honestly say I have no idea. I, I don't even begin to, profess a guess at what might happen with baseball this year or for that matter, football in the fall or basketball or the NBA. I don't know. I think, I think regardless, if you look at, you know, all of the, the COVID-19 stuff and all of the, the current projections, we're without a doubt on the right track right now, right? Like there's coming out of Texas, the governor says he's going to roll out his plan to start opening the state. Mike DeWine said that he's working on his plan to begin opening things back up. It's coming out of the White House that depending on whether where you live, things are going to begin opening up as, as soon. I think we have to do it. I think, you know, and you and I have had the conversation about the COVID-19 and how I think, you know, it's a little bit blown out of proportion, whatever. Whether I'm wrong or right, it doesn't matter. That's my opinion. Um, I, we just got to do it. It's kind of like playing baseball after 9-11, right? This is obviously different, but it's similar. Nobody wanted to play. Nobody was ready to play, but the country needed it, right? Yeah. Like, we needed Mike Piazza in the home run in, in Met Stadium. We needed that moment. And we need we need sports to come back. We need something good to happen in this country right now. And I think baseball can be that. How, I mean, I've written, written papers while I was a student at, at the Mountain about how, you know, the great American pastime got us through 
bad situations. Yeah. Whether you look at the, you know, the, um, the, a league of their own league that played during World War II or, you know, the yeah. integration of baseball, like the, there, baseball's always been that cutting edge that helped us get through terrible moments in our nation's history. And this is another opportunity for it. I do not envy Rob Manfred and happen to decide how that looks. Um, I just don't like the idea of them changing the game in order to facilitate playing as many games as possible. I hate the idea, Blake, of a doubleheader with seven innings each. I just don't think that's Major League Baseball. If you've got a problem, and, and I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago, if you have a problem with the fact that the pitchers are going to be susceptible to be get, being hurt, then increase the rosters. Bring on a couple of extra pitchers. Which, which they've already done, right? They've already pushed the rosters to 26, I think. No, they've got them, they've 20. still got them at 25, but they're willing to go up to 26 <laughs> on double headers. Now, my point in time was, there, there's enough time between June 1st, and I'm not even talking about getting the season started in May. I'm talking about getting it started Memorial Day weekend, which is the end of May. You could still run a 134-game schedule with 12 doubleheaders on Saturdays. And my reasoning for Saturdays is that if you get rained out on Saturday, you've still got Sunday that you could play the day-night doubleheader. In the days of doubleheaders, you increase the roster by three players, maybe two pitchers, and a utility guy, whatever you want to do. But then that that helps the union out because you get more minor league players that are coming up, getting the major league clock started for them, as they always want to do. You're still getting the, the, the games in. But the question is, you know, I, like I said, I think the craziest thing is making a pitcher – face three batters. Let's forget that this year. That That's a rule that they wanted to implement this year. Let's forget that this year. Give it up. Start it next year. But for right now, if you're, if you're talking about trying to help pitchers and alleviate arm injuries, then let's do the best thing we could do with these pitchers and let them add a pitcher or two on their roster. I think I actually kind of like the three batter minimum um, for pitchers. In the fact that, you know, it takes a little bit of that specialization out of the game. If you're a lefty reliever, you better be able to get right-handers out. Um, so I kind of like it. I understand your your point of view on it. I do. But I kind of like that one. By the way, I'm looking it up right now. They did add the, the active rosters are 26 this year. Okay. Um, starting on opening day, active rosters are 26. But the caveat is that 26 player has to be a position player. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that right. And they're not pass. allowing that position players to even pitch this year unless you've got yeah. a nine-run lead or something like that or whatever right. down by nine runs and after the seventh inning. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I don't like the uh, – you know, I'm I'm a bit of a baseball purist too, so I like the old school – you know. Well, they tinker too much with stuff that doesn't make any sense, and they continually let the DH conti- go the way it is. I would think in the next couple of years, the National League will have the DH. Well, um, it's been going on. You know, they've had that conversation. I I remember when they came out with the DH, you know, and, and I was 15 years old. That tells you how long ago it was. Okay, I was 15 years old. and And they've had this argument now for the last... 40 years 
Blake, you know, do they need the DH in both leagues? Are they going to have it? When's it going to move to that? They've been going this way for 40 years. And in the days of pre-interleague play, the DH was awesome, right? Like, because you had two styles of baseball in two different leagues, yeah. and they meet in the World Series, and is it the DH team or is it the non-DH team? Do you, when you go to different ballparks in the World Series, you know, you have to change your strategy, which I like. But I think as we get into a point where, you know, the next collective bargaining or whatever they call it in Major League Baseball is probably the same thing, you're going to see the, uh, especially with this 26-man roster and that extra guy being a position guy, you're going to see the players push for, for that DH. Because think about a guy like a Joey Votto, right? He, at the end of his career, if he wants to stay in baseball, he's got to find an American League team to DH for it. Well, it won't be the same if he, if both leagues have it. It's, it's kind of an unfair advantage for, for American League teams for signing that 33 year old, you know, hitter that can transition to a DH role as he gets older. Well, yeah, the they, National League can't do that. They've, they've got to do something with it because the end of the season a year ago, the Indians were still in the pennant chase, still in the playoff chase heading towards the end of the year. And their last three games of the regular season, Blake, were in Washington playing the Nationals, who eventually won the World Series. But because of the fact that they had to play interleague baseball and they were in Washington for the last three games, the Indians were at a decided disadvantage because they couldn't use the designated hitter, which they had used all year long. Now, you've got to go one way or the other, either standardize the game the way it should be, or quit the interleague play. I hate interleague play, to be honest with you. I enjoy. I it. like it for I like it for specific reasons. I like I like the Yankees and Mets playing each other. I like the you know the Battle of Ohio. But as an overall scheme, I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's, what, it's almost to the point where I would go the way. And I know the NBA has divisions, but it doesn't really matter that much. Um, you play everybody in your league the same amount of times. It almost seems like we should go to the, the no divisions if we're going to do something like that. And then you have one team you play from the other side every year instead of, you know, four series or whatever it is. Yeah, and there should also be, you know, some kind of rule about when those interleague series happen. Yeah. P- please tell me. What the incentive is for anybody to go buy tickets in Cincinnati or in, let's just say Cincinnati, for example, to, for anybody in Cincinnati to buy tickets to go see the Seattle Mariners play? Uh, I mean, I think when Interleague started, obviously, if, if Junior was coming, there's your incentive, but right now there isn't. There one. is no. Um, yeah. Now, if California is coming to town and Mike Trout, sure. Right. I would love, exactly. Um, Texas? But I mean, I Who remember cares? when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we we went to Cleveland so I could watch Junior play, yeah. which was really cool. It was a fun family experience. But you don't get that nowadays. Yeah. Um. It actually didn't get to see him play either. It was the year he broke his wrist. But whatever. <laughs> um. I was pissed. He broke his wrist like three weeks before that, and we were already locked into coming. Uh huh. Um. But yeah, I don't. I get it, but I don't. I don't know. I don't have really strong feelings against interleague play, but I don't have strong feelings to support it either. It's just at this point to me, it's kind of a part of the game. But it, it you know, it would put more emphasis back on the All Star game if you got rid of it, um, because you know, you listen to guys like Pete Rose talk; they hated the American League. They hated yeah. them guys. 
Yeah. They didn't want nothing to do with them. As far as they were concerned, it literally was another world. Yeah. Um, and nowadays it's not that way. I don't know. It's just different, man. The game's so much different. It's just, it's hard to say what's going to happen, what should happen. Um, baseball's also in a bad spot, man. It's got a chance to, to lose a whole generation of fans in the next couple of years too. If they don't fix some of these place to play things. Now, obviously I'm a baseball guy, so I don't care. Yeah. I'll sit down and watch a three hour baseball game. It doesn't bother me, but you know, my eight year old will not watch a baseball game. Just cause it's boring, damn, it's mm-hmm. slow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's no, tough. I, I understand that. And I've told you time and time again, my favorite game, my favorite sport to do play by play in is baseball. I love doing baseball. I love doing softball. It's just, it's so much fun. And that's why this whole COVID-19 thing, we were going to do a lot of mount games this year. And it, it's a bummer because we don't have the opportunity to do that. And that is going to hurt, you know, the, the new, kid that's coming in that's just getting into the possibility of of watching some baseball as we round out this week's show Blake I want to hit you with a couple of questions first of all if you were the commissioner of baseball right now if you were Rob Manfred what would you do with this season Uh, I think I would not play the Arizona thing they're talking about I would not change divisions or anything like that I think I would just whenever we can get back to playing let's play and get as many games in as we can if that's 112, that's 112, and that's just it is what it is. Um, yeah, I think I would just truncate the timetable, play some more doubleheaders, cut out some of the off days, which I know people are going to complain about, but these are pampered millionaires that they can play back-to-back teams and back-to-back cities as long as it's not a cross-country trip. Right. There's no reason you can't play in Pittsburgh on Friday and D.C. on Saturday. That's a three-hour drive, you know what I mean, or whatever yeah. it is. It, and these guys don't drive anywhere. So I, I think that's what I would do. And then in the, in the angles of baseball history, I would probably have an asterisk on this season just because, you know, the stats are never going to line up with everything else. Right. Um, but I, that's probably what I would do. Yeah, in, in my mind, what Rob Manfred's got to do is the same thing as you said. Let's forget this Arizona thing. Let, let's, you know, truncate the season, get rid of interleague play this year, and let's play as many doubleheaders as we can. And, you know, I've got a lot of other ideas that you can go into the article on Ultimate Sports Talk and, and just, uh, you know, get an idea as to what it is that I think they ought to do. The second question I had for you is, what team do you think will be the chief competitor for the Reds in the National League Central this year, if and when they get Ooh, the season started. That's a tough one because I think I think the Reds on paper are the best team in the division. Um, but I think the Cardinals are the Cardinals. They're always good. It's a lot like that, like we talked about with Minnesota earlier. I can't name three guys on the Cardinals anymore. I mean, I know Matt Carpenter and Yadier Molina are still there. Those guys are not what they were a couple of years ago. Um I know they've got a good pitching staff, but it's not special. Uh, but then they always win. They find a way. They That cardinal way it drives me freaking nuts. They always find a way. They always get that yeah. that kid that comes up for the minors and tears the cover off the ball. And they're always um, quiet in doing it. They don't do anything yeah. flashy. They're just quiet about it. That's they they recently they got Paul Goldschmidt a year ago, which helped a lot. Um, but they lost Marcel Asuna. They lost quite a bit too. Um, the Cubs are going to be down. They lose Joe Madden. They lose Castellanos. They were talking about them trading Chris Bryant. Their pitching staff is old. Um, 
you know, Lester is old, Darvish is old, Arietta's not even there anymore. Um, so I don't, I mean, David Ross, who knows what he's going to do as a manager. I would say my guess that the next best team in National League Central is probably Milwaukee. Um, and that's more because of how good I think Christian Yelich is. Mm-hmm. That dude is unbelievable. He really I hate is. Craig Council, but uh, they got oh, a I really good back end of their bullpen. <laughs> I don't um, like Craig Council just from the 97 World Series. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's done a, I mean, another one of those teams, though, that's outside of Yelich. Who do you, who do you know from that team? I mean, Ryan Braun's still there, but he's not the guy he used to be. Um, yeah. They're just another one of those teams, but they lost Moustakis. They lost Grandall. They lost uh Wade Miley. They lost a bunch of dudes that, like, are not – like, Grandall's really good, but outside of him, they're all just good players. But I think my money would probably go to Milwaukee. As far as the Indians are concerned, I think their chief competition is two teams. Uh You could throw Kansas City. You could throw Detroit right out of the mix automatically. But the other two teams in the White Sox and the Twins, the way that, you know, the Twins have done a nice job this offseason, already said the White Sox have had one of the top three offseasons in baseball this year. And the Indians right now, they rely so much on their pitching and so much on Terry Francona that they've got two teams that they've got to beat this year, and they're going to have to be unbelievable in the American League Central in order to to win that division. We'll we'll see what happens, you know. And they'll have to be really, really good in order to justify keeping not trading Lindor too. Yeah. Um and, and that if they trade him, they're they're done. They that's I mean that's ninety percent of their offense. That is far and away the best position player they have. And you know, he'd be the best Yeah. In um, baseball probably but I'm gonna hit you with this trivia question before we before we go. Um Pete Rose, I saw this on Facebook earlier today. Pete Rose will generally go down as the all-time best third baseman in Reds history. Mm-hmm. Who's the second best? Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Pete, I, I, Pete only played third for three years. Suarez is probably second best. Um, you know, I have personal preferences. I love, I love Aaron Boone. Um, Scott Rowland was great. Um, Suarez is great. Chris Sabo was huge for a couple of years. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who I would say is the second best. You know, there's a guy that nobody thinks about, but he came up as a third baseman. Tony Perez. Yeah, the big bucky. Yeah. I, I, I thought you were going there. Uh, yeah, that but, team, man. It, Unbelievable. It's, it's not that, you know, it's not that I'm saying that he – because, you know, you you can't really say, and we could get into this subject and we could spend another two hours on it, but you can't really say that Pete was a third baseman. You know, you, no, you mentioned was, earlier about... He's the greatest utility player in the history of baseball. Yeah. I mean, you you talked earlier about, about second base. You know, Pete Rose came up as he, a second baseman. He started as a second baseman, absolutely. Yeah, he was an all-star second baseman. He was an all-star outfielder. He was an all-star third baseman and an all-star first baseman with the Phillies. And that that just tells you who Pete was when, you know, it was, I think, 73 or 74. And when George Foster got here and Pete looked at Sparky Anderson and figure out a different position for you to play because George Foster needs to be in the lineup. Yeah. Like – 
This guy hits, and we I, need him in the lineup. It, quick story. I remember the day that they moved Pete to third. The day before they moved Pete to third. It was a Thursday. And I remember listening to the 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 main spark was the name of the manager's interview show with Marty Brenneman. And he had just taken over for Al Michaels that year. And they said that, you know, the, the, the lead, the lead question was, you're moving Pete to third tomorrow. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He said, you know, Pete brought it up to me during spring training and we've decided that we need to get George Foster in the lineup. And, you know, we, we like Dennis Menke, but the problem is, is that Dennis is in the downside of his career. I remember that interview almost verbatim. And Sparky made the, the case to move Pete to third. And the very next day, the first pitch of the ball game, guess where the guy hit the ball? <laughs> Pete Rose at third base. Right at Pete. <laughs> and he threw the guy out, and boy, the people at Riverfront Stadium went nuts. Blake, it's been fun. Um, it's, it's fun to at least talk some baseball for the last hour. Absolutely, brother. I love it. Yep. Go Reds. Hopefully we get the season in at some point and my boys don't disappoint. All right. Blake, good talking to you. We'll talk to you again next Monday night at 7, okay? All right, Dave. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to Blake Watson and our thanks to you for listening here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight, and we'll sign off right now. We'll talk to you again next week, next Monday night at 7 o'clock on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good night, everybody.